0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, Mike and Mark with you, and today we are finally going to put to rest that long-running confusion that ripped through baseball in the late 90s and early 2000s. Today, we risk shattering illusions from Kansas City all the way to California as we finally separate the Sweeney's. All the kidding aside, though, today, Mark, we do have one of the best players in Royals history with us, and he's a man who just happens to share your last name. Well, Mike, I'm
1: so excited about this podcast because <laughs> I, when I'm around Mike Sweeney, we always kid that we are brothers. There's so many people that think that we grew up in the same household. There's no relation, but I tell you what, there's a no bigger bond that I have uh, with Mike Sweeney, and it's it's been a great way. And we're going to chronicle some of the the funny things that <laughs> happened in our careers, but we're we're thrilled to have Mike. Mike,
2: Thank thanks you so brother. much for the time. Really appreciate uh, it. it. It's my joy to be on with you, Mike and Mark. Uh, you know, being a San Diego resident, it was a dream of mine to uh, play for the Padres and, and be a teammate with Mark and be with you, Mike. But I think uh, during my tryout, and I think it was 2009, I left a piece of my rotator cuff out in left field and uh, that was the, that was the gist of it. So I do have some great <laughs> memories playing at Petco Park. Um, my last, my last game ever was in 2010 as a Philly. We were trying to make a playoff run. And um, by the grace of God, uh, I got the start against Clayton Richard and my last at bat hit a home run to help us win the game. I think it was three to one and help us clinch a couple days later. So although I never was blessed to be a Padre and play with the likes of Mark and Of course, our dear friend Trevor Hoffman. Um, I'm I'm still a big Padres fan and it's an honor to be on the
0: show with you guys. I got to be honest with you, Mike. I don't think uh, most of us in the broadcasting end have the genius to have handled seeing Sweeney behind two shirts. It probably would have loused us up too many times to count, but (laughs) just the same, man. You had a wonderful career, and despite the rumors uh, that the two of you grew up together, and I don't want to be presumptuous, but I understand you didn't actually meet each other until 1995 is that right mike yeah 1995 i'm catching for the royals and of
2: course it's the eighth inning you know because that's when scrubs come in (laughs) and uh (laughs) and the cardinals had this young stud coming in for a a pinch hit at bat and um it was now batting number 30 mark sweeney and i'm like oh my gosh like and he, he comes up and I'm, I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I know of Mark, he's a heck of a player, and his, his line is something I'll never forget. He taps me on the shin guard and says, hey, will you tell all your fans to quit sending me your baseball cards? <laughs> I mean, we're in the middle of a big league game. I mean, both of us are fighting, trying to make a team. And uh, it was something I'll never forget. Mark, anything you want to add?
1: No, it's so funny because it's so vivid in my opinion, because it was anticipation uh, of knowing that I was going to finally get to meet you because uh, (laughs) we'll dip into uh, the trading card element of this, but, when I came around, we came from the third base dugout. So I'm going around the umpire. I tap you on the shins. I'm like, "How am we how are we going to do this? I mean, this isn't before the game, out in the outfield where you get to congregate, you get to talk. Like you said, it's the end yep. of the game. So I'm digging my spikes into the you know to the batter's box, and I'm saying, you know, I, I I'm tired of getting your your playing cards all the time. And I'm joking, obviously, but as I'm digging in, we're having this communication. You're you're basically. Uh, knelt down on your shin pads at this point and the umpire says to us he goes hey can we get this going (laughs) we gotta get this going I said so it it really was a a start of a a very special relationship most of it was done afar because I was in the National League the whole time he was in the American League until later in his career but uh, one of those special moments that
2: I definitely uh, yeah yeah yeah, it was one of the umpires is like, hey, let's get this game over. You guys don't have a chance to make this team at a spring. I got Chick-fil-A in 20 minutes. Let's go. It's time to get out of here.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. But I mean, baseball uh, city. I mean, for any baseball fan uh, who's been in Florida, they know that facility pretty darn well. Yep. 1995, Mike, I mean, you're, you're starting the year in A-ball. And it seemed like an interesting ascent. Uh, it's rare. Clearly, that it happens that a guy goes from A ball to the big leagues, but you managed to pull it off. What what was the driver, the turnaround for you that got you ready to play at the highest level? So, uh, Mike, that that I'll rewind about you know four
2: or five months. It was the fall. It was right around actually the winter, and I got a call. I'd I played in A ball the year before as a catcher. I think I batted I don't know three ten or something somewhere in the threes. And uh, I get a call It's right around um, Thanksgiving or Christmas from our minor league director telling me that he's put me on the 40-man roster. And I thought, what's that mean? Well, you're going to have to come to big league camp and you're going to be with Bob Boone and guys like that. And I thought, oh my goodness, Bob Boone, I had a, p- a poster of him on my wall when I was a kid. And now he's going to be my spring training manager. So that winter, one of my best friends growing up was a tight end for the Chargers named Brian Roach. And Brian, we we were best friends growing up together. And he said, Mike, I'm training for the NFL Combine. He was drafted in the third round by the Chargers that year at San Jose State. And he said, let's train together. So we lifted and ran and did all this stuff crazy. Um, Ice baths for the first time in my life. And I trained like a football player. And I went into spring training, Mike, and it was um, a mindset. We had to run these things called uh, suicides. And we had to sprint 100-yard dash. And then we had to jog 70 back and then walk 30 and it was a minute. And you had to do ten of those in a row. And the way I trained all winter was I'm gonna be the best. Whatever they call me to do, I'm gonna be the best. So I remember beating guys like Johnny Damon and Tom Goodwin, not because I was faster than them. I was just like the little engine that could. I was I was what you call red line in second gear. And they were in fourth gear cruising at about fifteen hundred RPMs and my engine was ready to blow in my second gear. But I remember that first day of spring, Mike. I'll be quick. I, I, I demolished the races just because I wanted to prove that I, I belonged here because I'm a kid that played A ball. I mean, I got Pat Borders and Lance Parrish and Mike McFarland and Brent Maine are my counterparts, catchers. And I'm going, I had these guys' pictures and, and baseball cards thumbtacked to my wall when I was a kid. Um, Lance Parrish, I wanted an orange glove like his. And uh, I remember that day vividly. Uh, we, we started playing catch and Hey, we're going to throw some balls down to second base. And I see Pat Borders and Lance Parrish do it. And I, I threw down a second and I thought, man, I could throw like these guys. And then we started hitting batting practice. And in batting practice, I'm sure, I mean, Mark and Mike, you guys can attest to it. When you're in the minor leagues in the Midwest League, the baseballs you use for batting practice look like something that a Rottweiler has chewed <laughs> yeah. on in his doghouse for about a month and a half. And they're like, hey, we got a whole laundry basket full of them. And here you go, kid. And if, I mean, if you whack a ball, you're lucky to get it out to the outfield. But in the big leagues, they had a big, huge basket full of pearls that had never been touched before. And they're waiting to be hit by us. And I remember the guys are hitting BP. And I, I mean, granted, I put on a couple pounds from lifting with a football player. And I was a little stronger. But I hit batting practice with Lance Parrish and Pat Borders and all these guys. And I remember hitting going – I've never seen a baseball do this off my bat. And then of course, lastly, we go in the weight room afterwards. And I remember I'll never forget it. I remember Lance Parrish grabbing the ninety fives and just he's lifting in the gym in a pair of uh uh under like just underwear, a tank top, and he's got muscles on top of muscles and he's in flip flops. And I'm going, This guy's a man, you know. Lance Parrish, and he gets the ninety fives and he just starts throwing them around like they're nothing. And I remember to prove to myself, I thought, well, if Lance Parrish is doing 95, I got to do 100. And I remember, I mean, I had veins coming out. I almost had a hernia, blew out. (laughs) Probably that's where my back injuries began. But I just wanted to prove that if Lance Parrish could do something, that I could do something better. And I remember that day, um, I thought, man, the only thing that separates me from these guys is here and a little experience. So I went to A-ball, Wilmington, Delaware, Um, had a great year, won a batting title. And then um, I got like you said, called up um, at the end of that year. So there is a there is a funny story about the call-up if you guys want to hear it, but I don't want to beat up this call.
1: Oh, we no, we would love to hear it because it, it really is. It's called Major League Beginnings, our podcast. It is your beginning, and uh, you had to learn those lessons uh, leading into your single-A year, but then you get a call. Was it a surprise? And take us through that
2: so mark it's the carolina league which is the equivalent of your guys's uh, lake elsinore team right um it's high a ball and when you're in high a ball the big leagues is like over on saturn or mars it, it it doesn't seem like it's anything attainable and all we wanted to do was win a championship so we go out we um we take our division the southern division and we're going into the finals and i'll never forget it we're facing um bartolo cologne and the, and the Indians, young crop of young stars, Richie Sexton and these guys. And, um, and we ended up, I get a walk-off base hit in the 10th inning. And I remember going, this is great. And in the minor leagues, for all your uh, podcast listeners, you think that you're making, you know, 1000000s or driving around in Bentleys. But in reality, you're clearing about, after taxes, about 18 bucks a day. <laughs> and uh, in, in Wilmington, Delaware, we had to live with the host family because we didn't have any money. So this nice family, they gave me an old pickup truck that they had. And I, they had two little boys, Mikey and Eddie Testa. And after the game, I, I grabbed the boys. I said, boys, we only need one, one more win to get a Carolina League championship. Uh, who, who wants to go eat a burger and a milkshake? I'm buying. So I throw them in the pickup truck. We go to some burger joint. It's 1030 at, at night. And uh, we're eating a burger and a milkshake. And my host family father comes pulling up and screeching the tires. And he says, Mike, you got to get back to the clubhouse. There's an emergency. And I said, oh, dear God, it has to be Mark and I's great-grandma or something, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I go racing back to the clubhouse. And they said, hey, Mizorak needs to see you, John Mizerock, our manager. So I go in his office. And he's in there in sliding shorts, no shirt. Um, he's smoking a heater. On his desk, he had a, a can of Copenhagen, a pouch of Levi Garrett. Uh, a, cop, a cup of coffee, he's smoking a cigarette, and a red Dixie cup full of beer. And I thought, man, breakfast of champions for a minor <laughs> league manager. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Mizorak says, hey, Sweeney, he says, uh, go in the corner of my office and tap that keg over there and get yourself a beer. And I'm thinking, I go, Rock, you know, I don't drink. You know, like, what, what do you got? And he goes, I got an emergency for you, but go get a beer. You, you need to hear this. And I'm like, okay, so I, I pump the keg, get a red Dixie cup or whatever they, you know, Teddy Chesney song, I think it's called a Dixie <laughs> cup. Uh, and, and I fill it up and I said, Rock, what do you got? You know, is it grandma sick? You know, what's family, what, what's the emergency? And he started off with, it's, I'll never forget it. The Kansas City Royals are playing the Toronto Blue Jays tomorrow, one o'clock, and they have a doubleheader tomorrow. And I'm thinking, what the heck does this have to do with me? And he said, and they want you dressed and ready to catch game two of the doubleheader. And I go, you mean, and he goes, kids, you're going to the big leagues. And I remember just weeping. I thought, man, I I never dreamt in a million years that I would get a call up from a ball from a guy that was my hero. John that taught me how to catch and taught me how to be hard nosed and taught me how to play the game the right way. And, um, I, I found out later on, Mark, I've, I've never told said this publicly, um, But I found out later, (laughs) years later, that the real person they wanted to call up was Sal Fasano. But Sal (laughs) Fasano, as you know, is an amazing catcher, can catch way better than me, a super guy, one of my best friends. But the rumor was, that that got back to me, is they called Double A or Triple A where Sal Fasano was. And apparently Sal had a good game and was out on the casino boats uh, having fun, playing cards, and they couldn't get a hold of Sal. (laughs) So they said, well, doggone it, we need a catcher tomorrow. So... Call that clown up an A-ball named Sweeney and get him here right away. So uh, I'm grateful that uh, hopefully Sal won a couple bucks on the on the boat that night. But uh, that that was the story of my big league call up. Something I'll never forget.
0: I don't know who you would call first, other than uh, other than uh, maybe your your mom or dad. But what do you remember about that exchange? Because I'm putting myself in the in the position of a parent, and I've got a young yep. son in A-ball. I'm not expecting that type of news. Who'd you call first? How did that go family-wise?
2: Yeah, I called I called Mark's um, aunt and uncle, you know, <laughs> Mike and Maureen <laughs> back in Ontario. I called mom and dad up. It was uh, probably around 8.30 or 9 o'clock their time. And I told them that I was going to the big leagues. And I mean, they were a shock. And I remember I didn't sleep that night. I was up packing and next thing you know, I'm on a flight from Philadelphia to Kansas City. And I'll never forget mark nowadays you know the kids come into san diego i'm sure we got a lot of guys working out at petco park right now guys on the 40-man roster uh they've been to petco park they 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 know uh, Patrika and the guys um but for me the first time i i mean literally i got a pouch given to me from my manager in wilmington delaware and said here's your plane ticket when you land in Kansas city tomorrow there should be a red Phone on the side of the wall. Pick up the phone. A van will pick you up and drive you to the stadium. And I'm like, so I, I literally got off the van, uh, shuttle van with 20 other people going to the Drury Inn and who knows where else. Worlds <laughs> of fun. And I'm like, hey, I'm I got a game to catch in about an hour. And literally, I, they dropped me off. I got my suitcase and a duffel bag full of my catcher's gear. And I walk up to the uh, the guy guarding the door. He goes, Can I help you? And I said, Yeah, I need to get down to the clubhouse. He says, You have a ticket. I said, no, I don't have a ticket. I'm a player. I mean, I probably look like the paper boy. I had a baby face. I got a Royals duffel bag from Wilmington, Delaware and a, and a Samsonite bag like Lloyd Christmas. And I'm walking into Coffman Stadium and they're going, well, what are you doing here? So uh, the first time I ever stepped foot in the clubhouse was my my big league call up. So it was it was a great day.
1: Mike, when you walk in that clubhouse... And all of the uniforms are mm-hmm. around the locker room. Do you remember that moment that you were like, man, this is the big leagues? Because it's it's done in the minor leagues, but it's not even close to that atmosphere.
2: Yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember um, the, the locker that stood out to me most was Walt Joyner. And I know he was a teammate of yours, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I grew up in Anaheim. You know, I grew up going to the big A. There was Wally World in right field with the bullseyes and Wally, you know, American League Rookie of the Year, I believe, and All-Star. Wally's great. And I remember going, Wally Joyner is my teammate. And I was in awe because guys like Greg Gagne and Gary Gaetti and Mike McFarland were my teammates, uh, Tom Goodwin, Johnny Damon. And I'm going, man, these guys are some of my heroes. And yet I get to call them a brother and a teammate. And I remember my first big league hit. I got it. We were in Jacobs Field in Cleveland and Paul Austin Locker. Um, I maybe felt bad for me. I got a little base hit. And uh, that night, I remember I'm, I'm putting my catcher's gear on to go strap it on to go catch the ninth. And uh, Wally Joiner's in there and gives me a baseball. And he goes, Hey, kid, here you go. And I go, Wow, this is the real first, my first hit. And it says, Mike Sweeney, ground ball to left field off of Jim Poole. And I go, <laughs> left. I go, Wally, I hit a line drive to right field. And he goes, Oh no, trainer, give me a red pen. And he starts scratching out my ball. And I go, and I think the guy's name wasn't Jim Poole. I thought it was Paul something. He goes, was it Austin mocker? I go, yeah, that's his name. Give me the red pen. He starts scratching. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no. And I remember Wally just ripping apart my, my, my baseball had bubble gum and tobacco spit on it. And I'm going, what the heck? Like, this is, uh, this is my first hit. And we're on the flight home that night from uh, Cleveland going to Kansas City. And Wally comes up to me and he goes, hey, kid, here's a, here's a $50 bill. I feel, I feel really bad about messing up your first base hit in the big leagues. I mean, you're going to cherish that ball forever. And I just screwed it up. I dropped it. There's bubble gum all over it. Tobacco spit. I messed up the name. I thought it was a ground ball to left. I was probably down in the bathroom taking a leak and I, I heard about it. I'm, I'm so sorry. Here's 50 bucks. I feel – I go, Wally, you're, you're one of my heroes. Like, I'll just remember that. Here, here's 100. I go, Wally, I'm not going to take any money. And he goes, hey, uh, you know, I just feel horrible. And next, I mean, I felt horrible for Wally. He dressed it up. He goes, hey, kid, just messing with you. Here's the real ball. So I went home <laughs> with the fake one and the real one, and it's something I'll never forget.
1: Mike, it, it's tremendous what teammates uh, bring t- joy to all of us and really enhance our experience in the big leagues. Was there one guy that sticks out that took you under your wing when you were in in the um, you know coming in that situation and being in the big leagues? Because you need that guy.
2: Yep. So really, two guys stood out for me, Mark. Uh, I would say maybe three. It was uh, Mike McFarland, who was the guy that I was trying to take his job. He was an older, established veteran. Um, he was the man that I wanted to be. He was a practicing Catholic. Him and Kathy were married. They had four children. And I thought, man, someday I want to be a man like that guy. Uh, long, big league career. And then there were two pitchers that really took me under their wing. And it was uh, Jeff Montgomery, the greatest closer in Kansas City Royals history, and then longtime major league pitcher, Tim Belcher. Those, those guys really looked out for me as like a little brother. And, um, and, and it's great, Mark, because I ended up being the Wally Joiner for the guys years down the line, doctoring up their first ball. And I ended up being the Mike McFarlane and the Jeff Montgomery and Tim Belcher for the next generation that came up after me. And I know, Mark, you probably have stories of whether it be McGuire or other guys that took care of you. And then you were the leader years down the line that were taking care of the other guys. I'm sure you could probably hit on that.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, message. And, and when you have guys that go out of their way and take you under their wing, I, I remember you know there were veteran guys that would take mm-hmm. you to try to get your, new, your first new suit Because you got to dress up on the planes and and listen, I I mean, I I didn't know what a suit coat was. I mean, I I had a blazer, but it didn't look good. It had all kinds of things hanging off it, but uh, it's, it's one of those things. There's so many moments that you take in as a rookie and it's just so fast paced, but I, I would love to get your take on this, uh, because rookie cards mean a lot. And I think going back to the days when you first came up, when you got that first rookie card. It was almost a sense of accomplishment that you made it.
2: Is there anything that you had uh, in that experience? Two things, Mark. Uh, Number one, when I got my first rookie card, I'm like, like I got my first big baseball card. And like, I can't believe that this is something that I would rip open when I was a kid and eat that cardboard thing that they called a piece of baseball, uh, uh, of chewing gum. And I would put my heroes, i put thumbtacks through them on my wall and dream that someday I'm going to be like them. And then number two, I think it, it kind of hit home uh, my second year in the call up in the Big League 1996. We're playing in the Kingdom. And I got my first home run that game against Jamie Moyer, who was like a legend. And I mean, thir- I think it was 16 years later, uh, I, Jamie Moyer becomes my teammate my last year in Philly. But I remember thinking I hit my first Big League home run against Jamie Moyer. And then the eighth inning, I'll never forget it. Now batting number 20 or is it 24 Ken griffey jr and i remember going and the crowd went crazy in the kingdom it was the loudest i'd ever heard it and i remember thinking Ken griffey jr's hitting and i'm catching like i've really i'm really in the big leagues and then six pitches later after a bunch of foul balls off a left-handed pitcher named jason hockamy mm-hmm. Ken griffey jr launched one about 500 feet in the upper deck and my ears were like ringing with deafening noise in the kingdom and i'm thinking this is what the big leagues is like. Wow. Like, and it's something, so between the baseball card and having Ken Griffey Jr. come up and even hit a home run. I mean, it's something I'll never forget. Were
1: there any other guys that gave you that wow moment, like a Ken Griffey Jr.
2: Man, well, some of your, like your teammates, you know, I remember facing Hoppy one time and, you know, since then Hoppy's become like a, a brother to mm-hmm. me. And I remember facing him at Coffin stadium The only time i ever faced him i'm going i'm facing trevor hoffman and it was just you know magic moments um seeing big mac uh when you played with him in st louis hitting balls i remember a whole team came out just to watch him hit batting practice yeah and i'm thinking what a stud and i remember you know him coming up to bat and tapping me on the shin guards and going hey kid how you doing and he was just the nicest gentle giant and he makes you want to root for people like that so yeah, whether it be Ken Griffey Jr. or digging in against Mariano Rivera or Roger Clemens or Mike Messina is a big unit, um, you're going, man, like, I can't believe that I'm living my dream. Like, this is something I dreamt of doing when I was a little boy, and yet, like, I'm living it. Like, dreams, dreams aren't supposed to come true for a kid from Ontario, California that gets drafted in the 10th round. Like, Like, I grew up with a bunch of cows in my backyard and nothing good could come out of Ontario. I was always told the only thing good that left Ontario was uh, the airplanes that left uh, Ontario Airport and the milk that came from the dairies. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm neither of those. And yet here I am playing in the big leagues. And like, I only played the game, Mark, really to, you know, my dad, I'll share this with you, was, was a minor league player with the California Angels, was playing in Boy- in uh, excuse me, Idaho Falls and was a switch hitting center fielder. And my mom got my mom pregnant as a high school senior. And um, they ended up, it was the first of the eight children. And my dad was hitting 350 and had all these great skills. And he came, he, he flew home the next day to drive a beer truck because he wanted to take care of my mom and give us kids a chance to live out our dreams. So for me to play in the big leagues, like I only played it to make my parents proud like that's the only reason I ever played the game was to have my dad who was my little league coach cheer me on and my mom who was a team mom give me a cupcake after the game or some otter pops and say honey you did great today I never dreamt in a million years that my dream of playing in the big leagues watching guys like Lance Parrish and Bob Boone and Brian Downing when I was a little boy would ever come true uh, for a kid like me
1: you know what's interesting, Mike. Uh, I, I know being around you and being, you know, being a, a friend of yours, knowing how important your dad was. He was your hero, Ooh. and I've heard yep. you say it so many times, which yep. is so gratifying because that my dad was too. Um, he sent you a message in Little League that I think resonates, and and I'd love to hear it from the the listeners' point of view.
2: <laughs> well, great memory, Mark. I can't believe you pulled that one up, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> So uh today is a special day because um yesterday was it's the five five year anniversary of my dad coming out of his coma when he was had esophageal cancer at the Mayo Clinic. The doctors said that he had no chance to make it to the night five years ago, and yet I gotta go and cook a steak with him last night. And uh it's a miracle that he's alive. Um he's my hero just like yours, Pop Mark, is is yours and will always be. And uh, I gotta I got to cook a steak with my dad. I couldn't hug him or kiss him because he's so protective of, you know, he has to be careful with this COVID-19, but like to sit and have a steak with my mom and dad last night was like a dream come true. But we were in the city championship. Uh, ironically, your old teammate, I believe Jeff Blum. Yeah. Our starting shortstop, the football player that played for the uh, Chargers, Brian Roach was playing first base for us and we're playing in the city championship and uh, we're playing on the north side of the tracks in Ontario, uh, predominantly a rougher part of town. And um, I remember it was it was the fifth inning. I was throwing a no-hitter, um, but I'd walked about seven or eight guys, and I ended up drilling about five or six guys. And I remember the these guys were screaming on the chain-link fence going, get him out of the game. He's going to kill somebody. Get him out of here, umpire. And I remember I was really overwhelmed with, like, intimidation, like, these drone men are screaming at me, swearing, telling me I'm going to kill their kid. And I remember I was scared. I was shooken. And, but also, I wanted to win. And I remember my dad, who was our Little League coach, came out and I went to give him the ball, Mark. I held it up, kind of like you do on the broadcast. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, I held up a ball and goes, Dad, here you go. He goes, son. He goes, put that, he goes, put that ball back in your glove. He says, I don't give a crap what anybody says to you on that sideline. If anybody says anything to you, I'll fight anybody for you. He said, you're the best thing we got. So what I want you to do, son, is take that ball, and I want you to throw it as hard as you can. I don't care if you walk another seven. I don't care if you drill another seven. He said, you are the best we got, and I believe in you. He he put a big miss on my face and wiped away my tears. And he says, son, I believe in you. And he goes, you go get him. And I'll never forget it, Mark. It was a... A lesson that all. I, I, I live, you know, I remember like it was yesterday, like when I first met you (laughs) and I'll never forget um, the the most joyful game of my life was that game because, because of my wild pitches and throwing so hard up the backstop and drilling these kids, the game was tied four to four. (laughs) How do you throw a no hitter and give up four runs? (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Ah. But it was the last inning and uh, we're in the top of the uh, top of the sixth. And my little nine-year-old brother, Richard, um, comes up. He was the kid in Little League that played second base or right field for two, and he's got one at-bat a game. But I got to play with my best friend, and I got to be coached by my hero. And Richard comes up and in the in the top of the six, gets a base hit, line drive over the second baseman's head. And um, we end up go up 5-4, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to let that run come through. And I remember getting the last few outs in the. And I remember after the game, me and Brian Roach and Jeff Blum, we it was all about our teammates, Mark. That's how you played Mm -hmm. the game too. But we lifted my little nine-year-old brother onto our shoulders and we carried him off the field. And Mark, I'm going to send you a little video of this because I have it somewhere on my phone. I have video of us carrying little Richard Sweeney um, off the field on our shoulders. And to this day, that was by far the most emotional game of my life and, and something I'll never forget.
0: Mike, take us back to your big league career. When we talk about your production, I mean sixteen seasons and five All Star teams. It looks like the world changes for you again in nineteen ninety nine. Where do you think you'd be uh, as a big league player if not for Jeff King and Jeremy Giambi?
2: Man, you got did your homework. I thought I was the only one <laughs> who knew about that. So in 1999, I was a backup catcher on the Kansas City Royals. I was, you know, career 260 hitter, nothing great, nothing too bad. Uh, Nowadays, it'll get you paid 10 million bucks, but I was barely hanging on. And um, Jeff King is our, he was the number one pick in the country. He was our leader, our four hole hitter, our first baseman. And Kinger comes up to me in spring training and says, Swing Dog, my back's killing me. Um, I have a special needs son. I just bought Hank William Jr.'s ranch in Montana I think I want to go back home and take it to the crib and just relax. I'm done with baseball. And I, I talked him out of it, talked him out of it. And the end of April, it was ironically the, the day that signified 10 years in the big leagues for Jeff King, he comes up to me and says, hey, swing dog, today's my last day I'll ever wear a big league uniform. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, ah, I'm, I'm hanging it up after this game. I'm going to tell the Royals they can have their 3 million bucks. I'm heading home. And I go, seriously? So when we were in tears, and the next day I didn't know who was playing first base. I thought they were going to call someone up. I'm a backup catcher. And uh, so Jeremy Giambi was on our team, and we had uh, we had an off day. And Kevin Apier is a pitcher on our team. And says, "Come to my ranch. You guys can, you know, ride ride motorcycles, shoot uh, shoot guns, go fishing." So I did the fishing part. Jeremy jumps on a quad that has a cage on it. I think it's called an Odyssey. And Jeremy starts ripping around, and uh, Jeremy was one of my best friends, and goes off the cornfield, the, the little hills that make up the cornfields in, in Kansas, and he lands the Odyssey like this, and he bounces, and, he, and I said, Jeremy, you almost flipped the thing. You're going to kill yourself. Oh, I used to race these things when I was a kid. These are the best. So Kevin Apier's wife pulls up, and she was Miss Oklahoma, Miss Kansas. She's stunningly beautiful and a great, wonderful woman. And she goes, I was driving down the farm road, and I saw a motorcycle flying through the air. And that's all it took for Jeremy Giambi. Hey, that was me. You want to see it? does a donut and burns off down the hill, goes over the cornfield, this time lands like this. And next thing you know, 10 seconds later, Jeremy gets out, and he's got a white shirt on like this, and it's filled with red blood. And awesome. we run down there, and Jeremy goes pale, falls over. Thankfully, Kevin Apier's wife was a nurse. We go to the Paola Hospital. He gets staples in his skull, stitches above his eyebrows, stitches in his knees, and we're flying to the next day to Pittsburgh to play an interleague game. And I found out on the plane that the competition at first base was going to be between me, the 25th guy on the team, the third-string catcher, the DH, and Jeremy Giambi. Well, Jeremy Giambi says, Swain, I can't tell him that I was riding a motorcycle, so I go, "Well, I'm not lying for you." So Jeremy says on the off day we went fishing at kevin apiers and i was going to change the oil in my truck and i went to pull the toolbox down at sweeney's house but stupid sweeney had the toolbox up 20 feet in the air and i it fell on my head and it crashed off the ladder and i got staples in my skull stitches in my eyes (laughs) and and stitches in my knees so anyways jeremy was unable to play uh we go out and that night i had a few hits in the home run and the next day I did it again, and then, you know, I got to play first base for a long time. But if it wasn't for Jeff King retiring and going to live on Hank Williams Jr.'s ranch, and if it wasn't for Jeremy Giambi changing the oil <laughs> in his truck that day, um, who knows what would have been in my career. I probably would have just been a backup catcher and probably I'd be sacking groceries for Mark Sweeney uh, in his mansion <laughs> over with Cindy, <laughs> uh, over at the local Albertsons. <laughs> hey, you,
1: you catch a break, but you uh, you flourish with that break, and you do it with your bat. And it's interesting for our listeners. There, there's choices that you make. Um, take us into your choice uh, of the, your bat model and what you used, and did you stick with that most of your career?
2: So, Mark, um, that's one thing I'll, I'll share with you. Uh, I had a hitting coach named Kai VanBurklio, and now he's the hitting coach for the Cleveland Indians, and he said, man... I think you may have played with Ty, but he I said, did, I've never angels. met I've never met a Sweeney that can't hit. He's like, <laughs> I know you're gonna be good. So I always felt like one one gift that Mark you had and I had, we could always hit. Um but as far as the bat, um I was pretty oops, sorry about that guys. Um I was pretty consistent in my model. Um I had a C two hundred seventy one that I swung. It was just a it was a white handle <laughs> and a and a black top. And um and Fiona, why don't you take the doggie out there, baby? Sorry, guys. We're, okay. we're real. I got six kids in this petting zoo that we call a home and, uh, and a dog that's barking. But um, so anyways, it's the last week of the season and I'm hitting in the cage and Manny Ramirez walks up and goes, hey, Poppy, I like that bat. And I said, well, thank you. He said, can I have it? I go, well, what am I going to hit with? And he says, well, you can have my bat. And I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, you're Manny Ramirez. I'm a scrub backup catcher here you go. And Manny Ramirez gave me this bat. And I go, man, it feels like a C-271. It was a M491B Rawlings bat, tapered handle, big head, kind of like an I-13L mark, a bigger, bigger head. And I remember, I said, I'm going to try this. If it works for Manny Ramirez, maybe it'll work better, you know, help me out. So I went into spring training in 99. And um, that's the bat that I ordered. And I came out and had the best spring training of my life. And honestly, from, that day forward I never used another bat um, once in a while I always use just a natural bat uh, kind of like you did mark just mm-hmm. natural wood and put some pine tar on it and go get him um, my my buddies on my team you know the Jermaine dies and um, the Desi Relifers used to give me a hard time because once in a while I get it in, in a slump and I go hey guys I need to go with the soul pole and they're like <laughs> yeah it's time for the soul pole sweetie so I get my black bat And it was the same model, same weight, same dimension. But sometimes you got to go to your roots in South Ontario, man, and go get your soul pole. But uh, Jermaine, they loved it. They're like Johnny Damon. Oh, sweet dog's got the soul pole going. (laughs) But uh, it was the best. So one model, pretty steady Eddie guy. And um, (laughs) yeah, it worked. So I kept using it.
1: Hey, I'm going to dip into the archives because this was another special moment. Because uh, we had interleague series in, I think I was with the San Diego Padres at the time. Yep. But we come into the Kansas City Royals, and and this is kind of our first uh, meetup when you're in the, in the big leagues. And obviously, yep. we had the spring training moment. But we just talked about bats. So I see you before the game. I said, hey, brother. And we always <laughs> joked about it. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun, brought a lot of smiles yep. to us. But I said, hey, uh, is there any way you could sign a bat for me? I said, I would give anything for that. And of course, you're you oblige, and you say, yeah, I'll send it over to you. Well, you send it over to me. And why I tell this story, it's special because I got to meet Mike senior that day. He was you at did. the game papa. and I, I right. gave him a, I gave him a big hug. He doesn't know me. I mean, that's probably the conversations oh, and things like you. that. It's funny, <laughs> but I get this bat and I have to tell the listeners, this is exactly what is said on it. It says, Hey brother, I'll never understand why mom and dad separated us at birth. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's one of those moments that you get a bat, you get them signed, and they're all special. But yeah. that took it to another level, man. It took it to another level, and it really brought us that much closer. And I hugged your dad after the game. It was so great to, to, to meet him and be a part of that, because I know how important he was to you. But I yeah. want you to know... That bat is still on my bat rack here, and I absolutely worship that because it was, it was extra special.
2: Oh, buddy, I meant that with every beat of my heart, man. I mean, Mark, I, you, you're a brother to me, and even though you know the world, we don't know we're related, but I bet if we did the 23 and me, yeah. I bet you, you – you know, I mean, Boston, I mean, that's where my family's from, Quincy, Mass, and I, I guarantee you we're related. I mean, we can both hit – you got the better looks. You got the dimple. I got the Cindy Crawford. You know, <laughs> and uh, you you got the nice left-handed swing. I got the hack. You know, they uh, they call me a brain dead hacker from the right side. Yeah, so, right. Uh, I, I I know that we have our we all have our gifts. But I would say that we are brothers, and I I, I do love you, Mark, like like you're my
0: own. Right back at you, man. Brothers from another mother, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And while you guys are enjoying this big league odyssey together, I think representing the Sweeney name in opposite leagues... The rest of baseball is taking notice, you know, really of both of you in your now defined roles. I mean, Mark has a a great career going as a pinch hitter, and obviously you get hit very well. Mike, you're uh, more of a regular player. Uh, You make five all-star teams, and you're a guy who has said before you just wanted to play pro ball so that you could basically tip your cap to your dad and all the hard work he had done. That's right. Next thing you know, you're an all-star, buddy, five times over. What did it mean to you? Particularly that first time you were named to a big league all star team well,
2: I'll never forget my first all star game. It was in Atlanta two thousand, and um you know I was blessed to get off to a good start and um, I remember looking around the locker room and seeing Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter and Roger Clemens and I mean all the greatest in the world and I'm going, okay, I know I'm not on the greatest of teams in baseball, but why did they pick me like I'm just a kid from Ontario that wanted to play this game because I love it to make my dad proud. And it was very, very humbling. So, I mean, I was blessed to play in five Mike and it was great, but it's, it's also good to stay humble. Like, you know, we're here in San Diego and I love it when the UPS guy or the FedEx guy knocks on my door and he says, Hey, you're, you're Sweeney. I said, Oh yeah. Oh man, you were a heck of a player. Oh, y- you remember me? Oh, man, you got the sweetest left-handed swing. And, man, <laughs> I loved you when you were with the Dodgers and the Padres. And at first, I used to fight it. I used to say, oh, but that's my brother or friend, Mark Sweeney. No no relation, at least we know it, but we're friends. And now it's great. Now I just roll with it. I said, oh, yeah, I let my hair grow out a little bit. Um, you know what? I'm glad you're a big fan. And uh, let me know if you want me to sign something for you. So now the UPS guy and FedEx guy is coming home, telling his kids and his family members that, man, that Mark Sweeney's a heck of a guy. I didn't realize he has six kids. <laughs> so I, I love
0: it. You know what, Mike, when <laughs> when I'm thinking about this, it reminds us of a story. So, you know, years ago, the late, great Dick Enberg uh, did some play-by-play for years with, with the Padres. And uh, Mark Sweeney's first time in the booth filling in uh, for Mark Grant as a color analyst, Dick has him on the air and he's talking about how uh, it must have been great growing up as a beach volleyball player and he's on and on and on and Mark isn't commenting and I'm listening to this in my ear and I'm going, why is Mark so silent? This is so strange. And Dick's going on and on and on and I'm thinking to myself, so I jump in the booth and I look at Mark and Mark will tell you. It was getting so uncomfortable, wasn't it, Mark? You didn't even <laughs> yeah. know what to do with yourself. It,
1: it, was, it, it was uncomfortable, but here's the thing, and I, I think the listeners need to know this. It, it's a compliment because I, I always looked at Mike as one of those guys that took off with that opportunity, and we're hearing it today. But a lot of people would say Mike it, it, to me, and I never got offended by it, uh, and, and there's no reason to get offended by it. I'll tell you what I did. And, and we touched on the on the playing cards too. Uh, we get mail uh, from fans and they're asking us to sign autographs and, and Mike has gone through this and it's kind of our standing yep. joke. But every single year, my first Mike Sweeney card that came in the mail was on my up locker. On the lo-
2: up on the locker. <laughs>
1: every single time, every single time. So uh, the reporters it would come by and they'd say, hey, you, know, you have Mike Sweeney's <laughs> card on your locker. And I'd say, yeah, that's my brother. That's what I want to be like. But it really became one of those standing jokes, but I was proud. And all of that stuff encompassing with the Dick Enberg story, anyone else that said Mike Sweeney to me, I always took it as a compliment. Well, I'll tell you
0: this. I'll tell you this, guys. I get on the bus after that game, and I used to sit next to Dick Enberg all the time. And he said, "He goes, my gosh, why didn't anybody tell me? I spent all this time researching the wrong guy. I, I didn't realize there was there were two of them." Oh, it was so much fun. Like, uh, let me take you, if I could, uh, to 2010, as you pointed out, it was your final season uh, in the big leagues, and. Hmm. I've always had this mystery. Mark and I talk to players all the time and, and ask them, when did you know it was probably time to retire? But yep. your last at-bat of your career was against the Reds in the National League Division Series. And you got a hit off of Veraldis Chapman. So who retires in your game when you can still hit the heater? Man. What is the behind that? So, Mark, uh, or, or Mike, um,
2: the at that moment, it was – I'll never forget the day. It was my last at bat in the big leagues. We're in the playoffs. We're facing a roleless Chapman throwing 103 miles an hour. And I get a a, a line drive base hit in the left field. And I'll never forget. They took him out of the game after that. They probably figure if, if a 37-year-old broken down guy can get a hit off him, he's done. <laughs> so they brought in a new pitcher. And I remember looking up and my mom and dad were in the stands. And I know Barry Axelrod, uh, for you, Mark, is one of your best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he's your agent. He's your mentor. He is, is, is your family. And my agent who had just lost his mother was in the stands as well, Seth Levinson. And I remember at that moment, they, they were taking a Chapman off the field and my teammates were going crazy in the, in the dugout with the Phillies. I remember looking up and I could see my dad's big arm and my mom and my wife Shara and my agent were there. And it was a moment where I had to fight back tears. Cause I had to, I had a second to I could just soak it in. And earlier that day, I'll, I'll share this and I'll, I'll shut up, but we have, we have baseball chapel and mass at all the stadiums. And that day we had Catholic mass and I went to mass and I was the guy in Philly that had to prepare all the readings. And the second reading, ironically, I'll never forget it. It was second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. And it was St. Paul. He's in prison. He's getting ready to be beheaded. And he writes this letter to, um, his friend, Timothy, uh, his, his younger, disciple, like Mark Sweeney was a mentor for these younger players. St. Paul was discipling this young guy named Timothy, and he's writing to him in in a prison cell saying, I'm getting ready to die. And he says, for the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith and I have finished the race. And I remember reading that during mass and the priest was up there and I remember going, is this for me? And ironically, Mike and Mark, that was my last game as a Philly. And when the San Francisco Giants got the last out, they're going to the World Series. It's game six of the NLCS. I remember overwhelmingly, like in my soul, it was Mike, that second reading at mass this morning in the stadium was for you. You have fought the good fight. You have kept the faith. And now you have finished the race. This This is it. And I remember walking away going like, I know I'm done. I don't, Mark, I'd like to hear yours, uh, Swain, yeah. when you knew you were done. But that night, everyone's clearing out the dugout. They've been to the playoffs 10 times in Philly in the last 14 years or whatever. They're like, hey, another loss. We'll be ready for spring training to do it again. I sat in my locker till 2 in the morning that night, Mark. Um, I was the only one left. The clubhouse kids were vacuuming and sweeping, and I couldn't take my jersey off. And I, that was another night I didn't sleep. I literally, at 2 in the morning, I... I just cried. I wept. I thank God. Um, I packed up. I went to my hotel, packed up my suitcase and jumped on a flight to San Diego because in my heart, I felt like I squeezed out every job out of that sponge like of the talent that God gave us. Mark, you and I weren't first round picks. We were grinders. Joe Randa, your teammate, called, yeah. called the middle round guys, glue guys, guys that held the team together. And I remember that night just going, it's it. Like I'm done. And I never looked back.
1: You challenge yourself mentally. You you have that feeling of uh, they're going to rip this jersey off. We hear that all the time from players. Ideally, it's not a perfect scenario when you're finished, but it really has a lot to do with how you're reflecting back on your career. And you get that opportunity after you're done. And when you finish, Mike, and you finish playing, it's transition time. It's that new beginning that I think we try to step back and go, what's going to – Not only replace it, but how can I give back? Because those are the type of players we have. And you get that opportunity in 16 years in the big leagues and 13 in one uniform. It's an easy choice, right? To go back and be a part of the Royals organization. You do that, but then you have another moment that really, to me, resonates through all of your work, all of the body of work and that grind that you talked about. And in August 15, 2015, you get honored by the Hall of Fame as a Kansas City Royal. Take us to that, what that feeling was like, and the culmination of a great
2: career. Thank you, brother. Uh, It's a night I'll never forget. You know, it it was a crowning moment for me as a a Royal. um, And ironically, uh, four weeks before that is, I told you five years ago yesterday is when my dad came out of his coma. And... He was, he he told me that he was fighting to walk out of the Mayo Clinic so that he could be with me on August 15th, which was only, you know, a few months later and be there when I was inducted to the Royals Hall of Fame. So as much as I was honored as a player, it was more about my dad. I made everything about that day in my talk. We had mass at the stadium with the team priest. We had everything and I focused it all on my dad. And um without him, I never would be the man I am, the father, the husband, the ball player. And uh it was it was a great day emotionally for me because my dad did fight and he was in a walker, but he stood up and he, he, he didn't want to have that walker with him on that baseball field when he walked to give his son a hug and a kiss that day. He it took everything out of him just to walk from the dugout to in front of the pitcher's mound. So that's, that's a day I'll never forget, Mark. Thank you for remembering that. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's something that's humbling again, but uh, something I'll never forget.
1: You start stepping into that role of being that mentor. You did it as a player in the uniform, but then now you start seeing some of these young guys come in. It was 29 years, and then the Royals win their World Series championship. They beat the Mets. What did that mean to you? Because you were a huge part of that, building those blocks, but also knowing that these young guys had to go out there and do it themselves, and you
2: imparted a lot of wisdom yeah. to them. So, Mark, uh, like you, uh, I prided myself in being a good teammate and playing the game to win a championship as a team. It wasn't about, right, it wasn't about Sweeney on the back of our jersey. It was what was on the front, and it was about being a good teammate. And the only reason we played was, you know, Once we game started, was to win, and why do we win? To build a team and to have a team championship. And I never was able to do it as a player, and it it crushed me. That's my only, my only not regret because there's nothing I could I'd want to change. But my only failure is during my career was I never was a World Series champion. So when I became a mentor and a special assistant to the GM in Kansas City, my job was to mentor these guys from rookie ball to the big league and continue to do life with them. So. All these guys, when they won the World Series championship in 2015, it was a, I mean, I'm a fly on the wall compared to the Eric Hosmers and the Moustakas that are actually doing it. But to know that I was walking with Haas since he was a 20-year-old kid and Moose and Dyson and all these, Lorenzo Kane and to walk with him and just to be a cheerleader. Like, I'm, I'm not there to be about me. I don't want a camera on me. I want to throw BP till my this old arm's ready to fall off. Because Moose wants to work on going the other way or I want to go to first base with Haas and throw balls in the dirt and work up so he can win another gold glove. And when they won the World Series, it was just like, man, I I was just a small little piece of it. But I rarely wear the ring because I need to stay humble. But it's something I treasure because I was a small part of something bigger than myself. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we
1: all look to to win, right? Whether it's uh, your youth championship that you alluded to earlier, um, being a part of something special, building something. Uh, you never know what your next chapter is, um, but that's a special chapter because you see the fruits of of so many people's labor through an organization and building that for that moment because it it's really hard to sustain if you're yeah. in one of those mid-market uh, things. Hey, Mike, the what I'd like to really take you to now is that you saw the world series championship. You're still part of the Royals. You're part of the hall of fame, all of these great things. What's next for Mike Sweeney,
2: man. I, I, I say this humbly Mark, but I I mean, I've gotten a couple of phone calls probably as you have, you're a born leader. You've always been that way about what's next. Do I want to possibly manage? Is that, is that something that my heart desires and, um i got a few phone calls this winter actually when we were together in in jackson hole and at dinner and i had to jump away to jump on a call and it was just i I, it was something i took a second to soak in going man this is humbling to get a phone call like this right you you get phone calls um, like this all the time And, and and the thing that came back to me is i'm 46 years old uh God just gave me and Shara, we've been married 18 years, our oldest is 16, I'm like Father Abraham at 46, <laughs> I just had number six, so the old ticker is still working. Um, <laughs> we have baby Ryan, uh, and uh, who's seven months old, and I have this overwhelming feeling that I'm able to do my role with the Royals and do it at my schedule and my pace, but if I was a manager, or coach every day in the big leagues, I would be gone 10 months, 11 months uh, straight and my job is to shepherd, at least right now, my job is to shepherd Shara and the six kids before I go on a full-time shepherding of, of shepherding men and trying to push to, to win a championship. So right now, what's next? I think it's just just keep trusting Mark and waiting. And, um, you know, like Mr. T, he had that tattoo on his bicep, TCB, taking care of business. <laughs> I just got to take care of business. And which right now is Shar and the kids, and and my my role of servant uh, for the Kansas City Royals, and just keep doing that until something
0: else um, is revealed to me. Well, you have certainly taken care of business, boy Mike. Sixteen years in the big leagues, five-time All Star, thirteen wonderful years with the Kansas City Royals, and and for our listeners, and we know a lot of you uh, in the Kansas City area know this, but to the rest of the country and world listening, Mike Sweeney is second in average and home runs in Royals history behind only George Brett. That's the type of ball player. Mike Sweeney was to be confused. And I think playfully with Mark Sweeney. And I know you guys are thick as thieves and and, and Mike, yes. we both thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate oh, it. I'm, I'm humbled to be on your show. And I'm, um,
2: I think my, uh, my Wikipedia account got doubled because <laughs> as far as uh, viewers, because two or three people, I think Jordan and, Mary went on. So if four people went on, that means it's now eight viewers in the last seven years. So I'm grateful for you guys. And, uh, <laughs> Mark Sweeney, I love you. Um, Mark and Mike, I'm big fans of yours. And I hope the Padres, um, go out and win a world series championship like the Royals did a few years back. And, uh, I can't wait to see you guys soon. Well, I love we you. see uh, you in the
0: postseason,
1: And I love you too, buddy. And your, your humility is, uh, a tip of the cap, man. And, uh, really proud of, of, uh, You coming on with us, but also uh,
0: everything you've succeeded in baseball. All right. Thank you, big brother. Mike, really, thanks so much for spending some time with us. We greatly appreciate it. And folks, thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time.